So this Sunday begins Holy Week in the calendar of Christianity. Today is the beginning of Holy Week, which is Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey to crowds that are cheering for him, and then he passes through Good Friday, the day that he is crucified, on to Easter Sunday, the day he rises from the dead, and we celebrate victory. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and crowds are cheering for him, and they're celebrating and mobbing him with applause, what does he think and feel? What goes through his head? Does he feel like Nick Foles and Zacherts going down Broad Street after a Super Bowl victory and the crowds are cheering and tens of thousands are jumping up and down? Is he exhilarated by the crowds cheering for him? Or does he have another set of feelings or thoughts? I mean, he knows in his mind what's to come. He knows they're cheering, and he knows what he will pass through before he gets to victory. Is there any part of him that can smile and enjoy that moment? Or does he kind of have to hear, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. He kind of has to give this like half smile, like, ah, ah. Or, or can he, is there any part of him that can enjoy that moment? knowing what's to come. So Jesus, when he shows up on earth, speaks some words that tell us his purpose. I love this. Some of his first words quoted from prophecy. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, Jesus knows why he's here. He knows he has come to bring good news. He knows he gets to secure victory for all humanity. But in this moment, he also knows he's just about to face the most hellish experience any human could face. So I wonder what he feels. Is it just endure this moment? I mean, is it possible that even in this moment as crowds are cheering for him, that maybe he utters for the first time in his own heart, Father, forgive them. They don't know, know what they're doing. They're, they, they don't know what they're doing. Is it possible that he's like running a marathon? Some of you knuckleheads run marathons. 26.2 miles? What is wrong with you? But imagine if you're running and you're at marker 25.2 and there are crowds cheering and you know that you still have a mile to go and it's straight uphill. Do you appreciate the crowds cheering? Or do you just have to endure that moment and go, you don't understand, I still have to go straight uphill. Jesus knew he still had to go straight uphill. But I wonder when those little children said, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes, if he could somehow deep inside with joy go, this is good because I'm just about to secure for you, child, you person, victory and peace and satisfaction. I got to go through hell still, but I'm going to secure for you something incredible. Scriptures tell us in the Gospels that there's a point that he gets closer to Jerusalem that he begins to weep, begins to cry. And you'd think if you were looking at him and you know the story, he's weeping and he's crying because of the pain he's going to have to go through. I mean, he knows he's got to go through 
agony. So is he crying because of that? No, it's actually he's crying because of people. He's crying because the people around him don't know what's going on, and they're blind to who he is. He weeps over people who are blind to who the Son of God is. It pains him greatly. He will secure for each of these individuals eternal victory, but he's got to go through this. We've been working our way through his last words from the cross as we head towards Easter. And so I want you to open up your Bibles, turn them on if you'd like to John chapter 19 and unpack one last phrase that Jesus speaks on this journey to death and into victory. John 19 is where we're going to land today. We already took time to go through that phrase he says. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's a prayer that he prays for all humanity. We talked about when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus feels the separation from his Father for the first time in his life so that he could reunite the world with Almighty God. He has to go through becoming sin and separation from God so that he could secure for us peace with God. And now we look at this final scene. And it's, it's written by Jesus' closest earthly friend, a guy who was there. He's standing there. He's watching this unfold. His best friend is on a cross. His ears are totally attentive to what is going on. His eyes are absorbing, and his pen now writes for us what takes place. John 19, verse 28. Later, John writes, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus had lived 33 years up to this moment, 33 years of total obedience, total love for God. He came for a purpose to give his life as a ransom. He, he knew what he was getting himself into. He's been tortured at this point. He has shed his blood. He has been hanging on the cross for six hours. The earth has been darkened supernaturally. He's experienced in his body in his mind, in his spirit, in his emotions, the weight of sin of the world becoming sin for us. And now in this last moment, knowing that everything had been finished, he asks for something to drink and then says, it is finished. And with that, he gives up his spirit. Now, you have to understand in this moment, Jesus is very much in control. This isn't Jesus is delirious. He's very much in control of his faculties. He knows what's gone on. He knows the race. And in this moment, he gives up his spirit. Earlier in the Gospels, it says, nobody takes my life from me. He didn't go into this passively, letting people drag him away, torturing, crucify him. He gave himself to it. And even in this last moment, he gives his spirit. He finishes. Now, one of the things that's interesting about our English text 
is that phrase in English, it is finished, three words, it is finished. In the original language, that's not what it says. It's actually just one word in the original language. We don't have an English word for it, so we translate it into it is finished, three words. But in that original language, one word, and Matthew's Gospels and Mark's Gospel describes this last word as a loud cry. So Jesus, Matthew, and Mark would say, gave out a loud cry and then gave up his spirit. And that loud cry, that one word is finished. It would be better translated complete, accomplished. In our language, we go, done, check, did it, got the medal, finished. It's so important to understand what he means by that. I don't know if you've been with people when they've taken their last breath. I've had that privilege. It is a privilege. Sometimes when someone has fought a long, difficult battle with an illness, and they get to that last moment, they're finished. I mean, they're, they're saying, I'm done. I can't fight anymore. I'm, it's over. There's some people, and this isn't right or wrong, it's just different, some people that get to that point and they go, you know what, I have peace with God, I have peace with my circumstances, I have peace with the people around me, I'm at peace. And when they say, I'm done, it's different. When Jesus says, done, it's not a pathetic, weak I'm so exhausted, I'm so tired, I can't believe I have to endure these crazy people yelling Hosanna and then crucify. This is so hard, this is so emotionally and mentally. I just had the worst week of my life. I'm just done. That's not it at all. It's I am done, finished, victory. It's a cry of yes, I did it, I finished. I didn't hold back, I left it all on the field, I accomplished why I am here. It's over. And he gives up his spirit. Victory cry. Which begs a simple question. When he says it is finished, is he just talking about his life? Or is it more? It's more. When he says it is finished, he means a number of things, starting with himself and then moving on to us and then moving out cosmically. So follow with me. When he says it is finished, he means Jesus' work on earth is complete. Like He came with a purpose. He had a job. He had an assignment. When God created the world and humanity rebelled against God, God set in motion a rescue plan. He could have just wiped us out and said, you're done. He could have, God could have said, you're done. Instead, he sets in plan, a motion or a plan that will provide for humanity and promises in Genesis 3.15 that he's going to send someone to rescue humanity. And then God makes a hundred different promises throughout the Bible that says this rescuer is going to come. This almighty God is going to come. And if you watch Jesus' birth, if you look at his life, if you watch his death, his resurrection, his entire existence on planet earth has been foretold prophetically and Jesus has fulfilled all of those things because he's not surprised why he's here. He knew his job description. He came for a purpose. So when he gets to this moment, he goes, I'm done. I've done everything I've been asked to do. It's not a struggle for him. He goes, I chose to love God. I chose to love my neighbor. I completed my task. A victory cry for a completed assignment, a job well done. 
Side note, okay? Take Jesus and put him over here for a moment. Side note, wouldn't it be great for you and me to get to a point in our lives where we said, done? Not that I lived perfectly. Not that I got it all right. But when I failed, I asked for forgiveness. When I was struggling, I asked God for help. That I followed through on what I said I would do. I did the best I could under the circumstances to honor God. That there was such a sense of peace in my heart before God and peace on earth with those around me that I could get to a point where I say to God, I'm done. I finished. I completed the tasks you've gave me to do. I'm done. So that before he would ever say to you when he meets you face to face, well done, good and faithful service, that you might say to him, I've done everything you've asked me to do. Is that possible? The answer is yes, because everything that Jesus does, he models for us. Now, we can't be perfect like Jesus, but we can walk with the Spirit of God and walk through the life we live in such a way that we could say, done, I'm finished, I accomplished. So at that last moment, you'd be able to say, I'm done. Wouldn't that be great? Back to the story. That was a side note. Extra. It is finished means Jesus has completed his work, but it also means that sin's penalty is paid for. You see, humanity was made by God. Humanity rejected God. That rejection, that rebellion, we talk about this all the time, is called sin. And sin cannot be brushed under the rug. Can you brush under the rug evil and injustice that you see in the world? Or you see, can you just pretend like you didn't see that? Well, if you can't pretend like you didn't see it, what about the perfect Son of God? What about God's holiness? Can God just wipe it under the rug? No. Sin in God's economy must be paid for. It can't be brushed under the rug. So he could have said to the humanity, you guys are all messed up and thrown us away. Instead, he said, let me set in motion a plan where sin is paid for. Have you ever been to Shady Maple? You know that crazy smorgasbord where you just stuff yourself? Maybe you ladies don't get this, but every guy goes there and you just want to eat like sausage. And I mean, just stuff yourself silly. And if you're not stuffing yourself silly, you're watching everybody else stuff themselves silly. Can you imagine just stuffing yourself and getting to the end of the meal and going, oh man, I, I forgot my wallet. I, you know, I don't have my credit card, my debit card. I have no ability to pay. What would happen in that moment? You look around and nobody else wants to pay for your gluttonous self. Like nobody's like, I'm, I'm not helping you out. You did this, come on. And the owner comes out and goes, you know what? I'll let you go. But when he lets you go or she lets you go, it doesn't mean that the food wasn't paid for. The owner had to absorb the cost of your gluttony, of your feasting, of your festivities. The owner owned the cost because nothing is free. In God's economy, when he looks at our humanity, all the gluttony of our feelings and our feasting and our festivities, all the fun that we have costs something, and he can't just wipe it under the rug. It must be paid for in order to bring us back into a relationship with him, and that's why Jesus came. And Jesus shows up on earth not with a wallet to pay a financial cost, but he pays the price with his 
blood. The most expensive payment any human could give. What's more expensive than your life? He pays with his blood that we can go free. This is what he did. Not this perfect spotless lamb comes. In the past, people did all kinds of animal sacrifices over and over, hoping to please God. But now, once and for all, the perfect spotless lamb of God is sacrificed to pay for the sins of the world. And in this moment, because God is just, he pours out his hatred towards sin. I mean, again, don't you hate sin? You don't want to brush injustice or evil under the rug. Holy God doesn't want to either. God hates injustice and evil so much that he pours his wrath out on evil. And he does that on his son. His holiness and his righteousness requires this expensive payment. It's satisfied in Christ. So John would say in 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atoning sacrifice means a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Jesus, when you look at that gory nature of the crucifixion, he's absorbing in his body God's hatred for the sin of all humanity. Jesus takes that on his body. And another thing that he does that just makes this incredible, Hebrews 10 says that he throws his body in the way to shield us from God's wrath. It's almost like, try to imagine God's hatred of sin is like a train going through Emmaus, and it's about to hit you. Jesus throws his body into the middle of that to shield you so you don't have to take the force of God's wrath and hatred of sin on you. He throws his body in. And what Hebrews 10 says, it's just incredible that by doing that and stopping the wrath of God, he opens up through his body a way for you and I to have a relationship with God forever. I can have connection with God and talk with God and listen to God and be with him now and forever. So he absorbs it in his body and through absorbing it, he shields us so that we don't have to take it. So that when he says, it is finished, he's talking about the penalty of sin the demand of God's justice is met, the requirements of God's holiness satisfied, the debt of sin is paid for, the price of all our festivities and gluttony and feelings and all the rebellion of every human ever created from that side to that side, eternity, past and present, all poured out on Jesus, satisfies the wrath of God so he can go, it's done. I did it for you. And this is what's so practical. It is finished means we can't add to that or subtract from it. We can't, this sacrifice, I mean, would it be safe to say we think it's pretty incredible? Most of us would go, it's pretty incredible that he did that for us. It's so interesting, it's incredible, but sometimes we think we can add to it. It's like, okay, God, you know what? I think I'm going to do some good works for you. You know, I'm going to give some money to the church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray as if we can add to the sacrifice of Jesus. Wasn't it big enough? In trying to add or work for or serve God in that way, we actually detract from the sacrifice of God. Like, yeah, that wasn't big enough. That didn't cover all of it, so let me try to help you out a little bit, God. I'll do some things. In the other way, we think 
the things we do can subtract from the sacrifice of God as if some of my disobedience and the ways I screw up and fall and mess up, I can't possibly be loved by you any, anymore, God, because I messed up again. I looked at that again. I did that again. I said that again. I'm such a failure. As if the love of Christ isn't so much bigger than your screw-up? To think that we can add from it or subtract from it is diminishing this incredible price. What do we do with it? We love it. We just go, I, I, I can't pay this. I could never pay it. I just love you. I, I praise you. I follow you. I surrender to you. I fall on you. I trust you. I am yours. You did this for me. It frees me to have a life of worship, not ever thinking I can add, not ever doubting I could subtract. His love is full and great and invites me into this incredibly reckless love that's just beyond what I can imagine. Can't add one thing to it, can't subtract one thing from it. All I can do is fall into it and receive it and welcome it. And it doesn't mean that I won't make mistakes, but here's what's incredible. When I sin, my sin is no longer on me, it was on him. The tab has been paid. The debt satisfied. The debt satisfied. It's incredible. It's incredible so that he shelters me and welcomes me, and I have access to God forever. So, so think of this. When Jesus says it is finished, he means his work on earth is finished. He's done. It means sin's penalty has been paid for, available for you to say, man, I forgot my checkbook, God. I don't have the money to pay you. I can't please you. Jesus did. His, his payment covers me. I come through him to you, and you welcome me. When he says it is finished, he means that for you personally when you get to the point when you say, I, I need Jesus. Take his life and credit it to my account. I come under his shield. But it means something so much greater, too. It is finished means all the effects of sin are doomed. This is, this is big, so, so zoom out with me one more time. Just go, okay, when he says it is finished, it means his suffering and his work on earth is finished. It means all of humanity's sin has been paid for, but go one level further. This is cosmic. You know, the death of Jesus Christ isn't about you. It isn't just about your salvation, our salvation, America's salvation, the salvation of the world. This is cosmic. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And through Jesus to reconcile, what's reconcile mean? It means that there are two parties that are in conflict with each other. There's no peace between them. And there's a separation because of that. Now, reconcile means to bring back together these two things. He says, now through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul's saying this is more than just the salvation of humanity. More than just salvation of humanity. So understand what the Bible says that sin has impacted the angelic realm. 
That there were angels created by God who also sinned against God, rebelled from God, fell from God's glory. There's humanity. We have sinned against God, rebelled against God, fallen from God's glory. And when we fall from God's glory, we also take down the material realm. That's the physical world all around us. We mess up God's design for this world, for animals and plants and all that's created around us so that Jesus, when he pays this price on the cross, what Paul is saying is that all things now will return to peace with God. Follow what this means. It means the demonic and spiritual forces that seem to run wild today will not have the final victory. God does. It means that sin and death, disease and pain, that ravages our families and our friends. That doesn't have the final victory. God does. It means that animals and plants and mountains and valleys Oceans and streams that we have polluted and used for our own purposes, not God's design, that there's a day coming that He's going to make all of that right, that there is a total victory in Christ, that it's for all things. It isn't just for you and me, but a total victory in Christ that's coming because of what He did on the cross. And maybe that's just too big for you to imagine but I get excited thinking about a day that God's going to make all things right. That everything that is unjust will be made just. Everything that's polluted will be made clean. Everything that's evil will be replaced with that which is good. Everything that was broken will be healed. In God's economy, he says, this moment in time when Jesus died, paid the price, satisfied the requirements of God's holiness so that all things are reconciled back to God and His original design. It's cosmic. It's great. It's beautiful. It's finished. Done. Jesus did it. It's so rich with meaning, and we're so Christian, most of us. I'm, I'm glad. You may be here today and you're not a Christian. You're welcome here. I'm glad. Many of us are Christ followers, and we've heard this stuff so many times. Oh, Holy Week, it is finished. Father, forgive him. And we're, yawn. i, I got to get my Easter lamb ready and maybe a pretty dress and some green grass and candies and delicious Holy Week celebrations and Holy Week, Holy Week. We don't even think about Holy Week. It is finished. Who cares? We ignore this stuff. We fast forward through it. We don't process it. We don't think it. And when we miss it, we miss seeing the love of God and the total reconciliation and restoration he offers to everything and everyone who would just come to him, come to him on a daily basis, come to him with our sin and shame, walk with him day by day. He wants a relationship with us. So, so maybe today you're a Christ follower and you're a son or daughter of the king and this is Holy Week. Can I encourage you to slow down this week and not fast forward through one moment of the week and in your app, I put some ideas. I'm just going to mention a couple of them. But just some ideas about slowing down this week and maybe cutting something out of your schedule to linger and to listen and maybe look fresh at one of the things Jesus said from the cross. You know what fasting is? Fasting is stopping taking something in so that you can engage with God. Maybe this is a week that you want to set aside social media 
and just say, I want to engage with you, God. I want to hear from you, God. I want to learn from you, God. Maybe you want to set aside TV, not March Madness, but just set aside TV. <laughs> set aside taking in media so that you can listen to God and, and look at what he says. Maybe you want to set aside a meal, a breakfast or lunch each day and say, God, I want to hear you. I want to learn from you. I want to linger at the cross and feel the weight and the gravity of this week that you died and rose again. Maybe you're going to slow down and read this week. You know, each of the gospel accounts has something to say about Jesus' last days on earth. And I put in your app a simple Holy Week guide to reading the Bible by Leslie Ann Jones. And you can just track with Jesus on Monday of Holy Week. What was Jesus doing? Read that. Think about that. What was he doing on Tuesday of Holy Week? What was he doing on Thursday? What was he doing on Friday? What happened on Saturday before Easter? Read and take that in and chew on it. Process it. Don't fast forward through it. And slow down in worship. You know, worship isn't just what we do on a Sunday. It's praising God in all of life. It's just praising God and thanking Him for absorbing our sin and shielding us from wrath. Waking up every day and saying, I'm going to be thankful this week. I'm going to sing. Maybe I'm not really good at singing, but singing some of the songs that we sing together on your own, listening to music and hands raised and praising Him in the shower or on your run, listening to music that makes you praise Him. Coming to join us on Good Friday or Easter Sunday to just lean in and learn and linger and listen so that you just don't fast forward because this is incredible. And this is what could be missed. Jesus, through his body, absorbed the wrath of God, the backhand of God that I deserve. He took it. And he didn't just take it to give me heaven. He took it to open up a new and living way for me to walk with Jesus on a daily basis, commune with Jesus, connect with Jesus, obey Jesus, honor Jesus, don't fast forward through that. Let's pray. Father, in this space today, there are people that don't believe any of the things I just said, and I'm glad they're here because you speak and you communicate and you draw people to yourself. So if someone is in this place today, online or in the chapel here in the center, hearing some of this stuff for the first time, Pray that you'd help them to just open their hearts to you. For all who call upon you will be saved. You died for the world. You offer this gift to everyone, but you won't force yourself on anyone. This is a gift, a payment that's received by faith. For sons and daughters of yours in this place today, we tend to fast forward through these events. Slow us down. Awaken us to all that you accomplished on the cross. Help us to look at you on the cross. Listen to what you said. Lean in to understanding through your word by the help of your spirit to really sense the gravity of being our atoning sacrifice. Punishment that brought us peace was upon you. Help us to look at that to linger there and to praise you for it, not thinking we can add anything, not thinking we can subtract anything. Let us linger there, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.